0: Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon sellers, a subset of the amazing FBA podcast family for Amazon sellers in general. Today, we're talking to Jeff Sauer, who is the founder and CEO and leader instructor of Data Driven U, which helps marketers get more comfortable with the data they need to make decisions. Data and decisions is the topic today. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Yeah, me too. I'm enough of a nerd to get excited by the word data. A lot of people think, oh my goodness, information overload. So first question then, let's define what do you mean by data-driven? What does this mean in in your words? Yeah,
1: so it's funny. A lot of times I get mislabeled as this data person who's going to tell you that you need more of data and that you need everything to be focused on having as much as possible, and then I'll be giving you some long, drawn-out technical explanation. But actually, data-driven to me is using as little data as possible in order to make a better decision than just relying on your instinct alone or getting stuck in analysis paralysis. So for me, being data-driven is to use data to make decisions faster.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And I like the twin problems you put down. So it's either relying on gut or overwhelm. It's a paralysis analysis. And I think most of us, my experience, tell me if this ties in with your experience of work, people you work with, your clients. My suppose is we tend, myself included, to go from gut instinct, feeling guilty that we're not being professional, use a lot of data, get overwhelmed, and then go back to actually gut instinct again. Is that a pattern? Is it just me?
1: Yeah, it's very feast or famine, all or nothing. Either You just rely on your instinct or you just overdo it and then go back to your instinct 100%. I should distinguish that data-driven is actually, it's funny it's the name of my company, but uh, data-informed is probably a better way to look at it you're using data to inform the decisions versus actually driven by them. Because data driven means that you have to have data to make a decision. Informed means that it's just your ally. It's your voice on your shoulder saying, is this a good idea? It's a way to quantify whether this is something you should do. And also the other thing is a lot of the decisions that I recommend that you make is really more like the 80-20, right? So 20% of the effort gives you 80% of the results when it comes to leveraging and using data.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I remember having this conversation with a very data-driven, shall we say, or informed guy who got a physics degree, literally a rocket scientist, who was my business partner at one point. Fantastic guy. But I remember him saying, Mike, can you just promise you that we'll be led by the numbers? And I said, yeah, I'm happy to be informed by the numbers, but I think we have to be led by things that includes intuition, right? It's so not robots. Yeah. So yeah, I love that differentiation. Brilliant. So we've defined what it is and what it isn't. You've already hinted a bit about this, but why does it matter? And um, You said gutton. Intuition isn't enough. Why is that in your experience?
1: Yeah, so all the data, if you will, and the research points that companies that use data to make decisions perform better because they are not making the wrong choices or they at least have some kind of leverage that they experience in putting the data forward. I'm specifically somebody who teaches web analytics or teaches really how to get more traffic to your site, how to get more leads, how to get more sales. And usually the best way to get more of those things, the lowest hanging fruit, to be honest with you, is to take the thing that worked already and double down on that and put more effort towards it, more money towards it versus going out there and trying to get six channels. One of the things that we always that people fall into the trap of is that there's a lot of gurus out there. there's a lot of people talking about what you can do and there for that person, it worked. So one guru might say email marketing is the only way to go. One guru might say that this is the only way to go. You got to do a Google search. You got to do Facebook ads. You got to do TikTok ads. And if you lay it all out there, that's like a life's work to do all those things well. But the ones who thrive, generally speaking, they do one channel or one thing, optimize that, make it working, make it spit out profits, and then maybe expand to the new one with a new team member. With a new person on board, and very rarely does somebody achieve success by being diversified at the very early stages. It's not until later that that's a possibility or an opportunity out there. So a lot of times, it's really just using the data to say this is the one thing that's working. Let's optimize and use all our efforts on this one to get a compounding and exponential result, as opposed to spreading ourselves too thin, doing eight different things. Think about it like a plant growth, right? Do you let the plant grow? In the part that's working or do you have a bunch of different offshoots that are sucking all the resources away?
0: I like that a lot. It reminds me of a recent guest, Ken Burke, who built a business, he had a 10-figure exit recently, so a few years ago. And he said, master and move on, which ties in exactly what you were saying. You get one channel, you make it really profitable. You double down on what works It's literally the words I said this morning to a client. So he's got an existing business that's doing, some parts of it are doing well, some are bad. And I said, look, We just need to do an 80, 20 analysis of what's working and kill off a lot of products here, and then the ones that are doing well, they're probably going out of stock by the very nature of it. That's what happens. Best sellers go out of stock is even a way of identifying best sellers normally. Right. (laughs) I'm absolutely with you on that. Okay. So completely convinced then it's important to do data informed decisions. I love it. Not paralysis analysis, not just gut driven. How do we actually make that a reality then? So we don't fall into one of those traps of paralysis analysis, but that's just overwhelming and forgetting all the data.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think the thing that's really interesting is you probably, no matter what you're doing, have enough data, whether you're FBA or whether you own your own web store and you have Google Analytics installed, whether you're advertising on an ad platform, they all give you a lot of data. And that's pretty much all you need at a very beginning phase to be able to do the 80-20. But I think that what people disconnect with data is that they don't realize that data, when it comes to your store or your website, it's a tabula- it's a count of how many people, real people are doing this, right? So there's real people buying that product that went out of stock. Okay, what made those real people want to come to your store and buy it? Was it a mention somewhere? Was it a, was it an ad you ran? What, what made these real people make this decision? And a lot of what you do is you use data to quantify how many of those real people there are that are buying something. So your stock is an example, that's data, right? How many units do you have? how quickly is it selling is just data and then you say okay why is that happening and is it repeatable could i could this happen again do i need to order more quantity now in order to take that is it seasonal like those are the stories behind it right so data helps you identify the problem or the opportunity it helps you quantify whether it's it's just one person talking about it or if it's everybody talking about it right if it's actually going to get to the point where you need it to be but then it also Helps you filter out to say, okay, is this a plausible story to move forward with? And I think that's the biggest connection here. That's the biggest connection between data, which is nebulous and hard to think about. It's really makes our brains hurt. But then, somebody buying from you, we can all relate to that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So in other words, you're using data. You're understanding that data is a proxy for human behavior. Is the way I put it. Right? Exactly. Hundred so, percent. Yeah. It's it's not in itself valuable. The customers, the ones that give you money, but yeah, and people sometimes manage their companies such that they manage the numbers right and that starts mm-hmm. to lead to weird behavior depending which numbers you're targeting but that was like the most weird version of that was in the late 90s right when people said oh we got x number of users which implied that one day that would generate revenue which some of them didn't even have yep. which implied one day that might generate profit <laughs> it didn't it all came crashing down so yeah that, that's the most extreme example i can see where treating the numbers as good in themselves can be really bad. Okay, yep. great. So now they've got a little a framework called small. I say little framework, it's a really powerful framework. It's called small. I like that. Presumably because it's geared to the small business owner that's going to become a medium and then large business. So talk us through this framework because that looks like a great way to handle this situation here.
1: Yeah. So it's funny. I, I, I So many people talk about big data. And if you have ever talked, if you're Depending on the size of your company, you've probably been pitched on big data solutions. It's the future. It's everything, right? That was a buzzword like five, 10 years ago for a solid decade. But that's most people, either you're on board or you're not, but big data is not really the problem. I I actually wanted to tell people that you can do fewer things better and you'll have better results. So why not name it small instead of big data? So it's an antonym to the big data movement. And it's basically saying only collect as much data as you want or need. And then also to put yourself into the area that you are. So if you're a small business, and this I experienced this firsthand, I've experienced every single level of the small data framework. So actually, let me just define the areas first. There's solo, which is one person with one goal, just trying to stay in business, trying to make some money. Micro, which is a small business with two or more people. And you have a few objectives. You want to get some awareness to your business and you want to get sales, of course. Agile, which is focused on yeah. agile, means basically you can start to optimize. You can start to move things around and optimize. You're not just hand to mouth. You're not just trying to survive. You're actually optimizing and being agile with it. Leverage means you start to bring in consultants and specialists who have very special pinpoint knowledge, which you can use to leverage even more. And then leading edge is when you're doing experimental stuff, big data, AI, machine learning, all those buzzwords that we have these days that are out there that's when you get to the leading edge. And so what this helps people do is to define where they're at now. And then it tells you what level of data you need. So what happened was when I went on back on my own, so I, I used to work for an agency. And in my agency, we had this idea of we were doing leading edge and leverage stuff. We were an agency, meaning we were a service provider, a specialist for other companies. So we were somebody else's leverage. Not only that, but we were also doing some experimental data mining, data modeling stuff at the leading edge. Then I went on my own. It was just me. And I was trying to recreate the same things that I was doing for these big companies. And I ran into some problems pretty fast. One, I didn't have any data. Two, I didn't really have any sales. I didn't have these things. So trying to recreate what these other people are doing, it was overwhelming. So this is just trying to bring it back to just only collect enough data for where you're at stop trying to compare yourself to Amazon. Like every book's about, do be like Amazon. Yeah, and it's, That's not great advice
0: no. from a data perspective. <laughs> be like Amazon 20... when they were tiny, maybe is better yeah, advice, exactly, right? Yeah. But even yeah. then you've got to say, okay, Jeff Bezos spotted that the internet was growing. Mm-hmm. Out. He, he was, a, there was a rounding out of just like a, just yep. point error, right? He thought that the internet was growing at 24,000% a year. It's 2,400, but <laughs> yep. Newsflash, that's not the case now. So even then, yeah, you can't simplistically copy it. I really like that point. It's yeah. really important. It's be,
1: be scrappy, right? Like you should be scrappy. You should be there. And maybe you can aspire to be like them, but you got to go through the steps and you shouldn't skip any steps, right? You shouldn't skip any steps. I think this is particularly applicable to a FBA type business because knowing that they're usually small, they're usually scrappy, they usually are a few it's either the drop shippers or small right just them or them and their partner all the way up to somebody who's a little bit more has a team in place that might be the agile area and it might not be until a consolidation happens that becomes leveraged. right then you get the leverage and the economies of scale of leveraging as consultants leveraging a PPC specialist across all your brands for example right so knowing where you're at You can compare, you don't have to compare yourself to somebody who's been doing it longer and you can say, okay, let's just master this thing. And then once we're there, we can start to expand and we will have the resources to be able to expand because that means we were successful in the previous
0: stage. Yeah, that makes sense. So, And just to summarize it then, in my words, it's have an appropriate level of data for your ability to process it, right? And then also the right kind of set up, the right kind of metrics, the right mentality of what you should have at your size and stage of business instead of trying to yep. copy huge businesses. So that brings us really to the next question, which is, so what are the most basic KPIs and how do we figure out what that needs to be for a smaller business, for example? Let's start with a solopreneur, which is very common for people listening and for my sort of target listeners, solopreneur, two, three team members, quite common in the mm-hmm. seven to eight figure range on Amazon. So what do we absolutely need to know at that level?
1: Yeah. So along with the small data, I also have a framework that I've been teaching in the university level for the last 10 years or so called ACES. And it helps you decide on KPIs or key performance indicators or objectives, whatever you want to call it for your business based on where you're at. So there's there's some terminology here, but everybody's heard the term KPI, right? Like It's the key performance indicator you optimize for this. Now, a lot of times people Want to have a million KPIs because again, they're comparing themselves to the big boys and girls, and they don't realize that they really only need to do one thing well, right? So they might only need to do awareness. They might not need to only focus on one area. And so when you're in the solo area, I think really all you need to focus is on your bank account how much money is coming in versus how much is going out. Just bottom line and a little bit of top line how much is coming in? How much is going out? How much profit do you have? How much margins are you getting on your products and so on? That's a solopreneur. That's all you really need, right? You need to get to the point where you have enough in the bank after it's all said and done or after things are whatever you pay out to people. Once you settle the year, whatever it is that you can then hire the next person. The M part, the micro part, the next part is you want to have a focus on awareness, which is marketing, getting a market for yourself, whether in FBA terms that would be optimizing your listing, doing Amazon SEO. It could be running paid ads to get up there to get in the category area, that type of stuff. So just letting people know that you exist, so you can stand out from a crowd. Those are optimization steps. And whether if you're on a owned on a channel that's owned by a platform like FBA, you're going to optimize for the platform. If you're owning your
0: own store, you're going to optimize for Google for the search engines, for example. So the micro, and, just to be clear, is business with two or three members, and you've said that you've got. Revenue-wise, what would you be looking at at that point, roughly?
1: Yeah, it can be in a few different areas, but I'd say in the around half a million to multi-million. Less than 10 million, generally speaking. Actually, in FBA, I think those numbers might be a little bit higher because the margins are lower, right? So you need to have more revenue in order to afford a team. If you're going direct to consumer and have high margins, you can go at 200k. Right. But this is more, yeah, 500K to $10 million, I'd say is right around that level.
0: Yeah, that ties in. I've seen people get to a couple of million dollars a a year revenue with just one person. And maybe they've outsourced quite a lot. So it depends how you define team, doesn't it? But not least the manufacturing, which is not a small thing. Exactly, Um, And I guess we've outsourced a huge amount to Amazon, which if you've got your own store, you've got to take care of, not least again, fulfillment, which is you normally have to find a fulfillment partner, of course. But Yes. So that ties in and that reminds us all as well. I would just say that revenue is a pretty terrible KPI for (laughs) Amazon-focused sellers. Tell me a bit more about that. It's a bit of a bugbear of mine, but people always come into me and say, I want to grow my business. And I say, what do you mean by grow your business? And they say, I want to grow my revenue, to which my response is, that's just silly, isn't it? It's not actually growing the value of your business. What's your thought about this? Because the reality is that everyone does do that and does think of it that way. How do you deal with that whole thing of revenue target?
1: Yeah, 100%. Revenue is one of the easiest things to game because you can unprofitably grow your revenue very easily by advertising, by by giving discounts, by whatever, right? If you're losing $10 on every sale you make, then revenue is not great. It's just a race to the bottom. It's really actually hurting you more than it's helping you. So, I agree that revenue, well, revenue makes sense, but a lot of the milestone revenue is total BS. Like, I'm a six-figure business, I'm a seven-figure business, I'm an eight-figure business. That usually really does help establish the problems you're going to be going through at that phase. But those are arbitrary numbers that don't always indicate that something's successful. So I think profits definitely or margins are better. So I know Amazon, you touched on this and, you're, and it's perfectly spot on. Basically, by doing FBA, you are outsourcing a lot of the functions that you would build if you went direct to consumer, right? You're outsourcing marketing to a certain extent. You're mar- outsourcing fulfillment if you're using their fulfillment capabilities. You're outsourcing manufacturing to a manufacturing partner. And really, you're the, really the role is more coordinating and making sure all these things work as opposed to if you were to go direct to consumer, you'd need to hire those functions or have contractors to do that. Right. So there is a lot of outsourcing that happens there, which brings your margin down. Ultimately, if I sell an information product, the margin might be 75%, might be 90%. Right. So meaning that I'm only spending 10% to 25% of the cost of sale of a thing in fulfilling it. And the rest of it goes to marketing costs and stuff like that. With Amazon, I'm not sure exactly what the margins are for a given business, but I would assume that you're maybe making 20% on a sale if that's a good number to be at. right? So when you only have 20% left over at the end of the day, then a million dollar business with 20% margin is actually the same as a $200,000 business, or let's call it a $300,000 business with 75% margins. They end up being the same thing. And so you're right. Not all businesses are created equal. And what you really are striving to do is to make make your margins better in the category class that you're in.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. Again, what you're benchmarking against is really critical. So I know, I would say 20%, by the way, is pretty good for an Amazon-focused business. So in the sort of, Feeding frenzy when the private equity companies were coming in and calling themselves aggregators and buying every Amazon business with a pulse. Well, that's not quite fair, but they were buying reasonably for its category, quality Amazon businesses. So what does that Amazon business mean? Even the name implies you're not buying a complete entity with complete control, of course. (laughs) Yeah, 20% EBITDA or SDE, seller discretionary earnings, whichever way pre-tax profit was their target number course everything's fallen off a cliff since the pandemic is no longer with us and consumer spendings in a downwards trend i would say 10 percent is a more typical number i'm hearing from a lot of the mastermind numbers yeah. in this sort of seven to eight figure revenue range so you're right it really i would say a great top line i don't know what your thoughts about this is a great crabtree he's got a great book about this says if your gross margin is below a certain percentage and i think amazon sellers fall into this then your gross margin is really your gross profit is really yeah. the top line you should be using. Would you agree with that? Is that a good KPI to target?
1: Yeah. And that's definitely, so I was, I and I was, I want to make sure this is clear that I wasn't like, there's net profit and there's gross margin, right? So I think the gross margin on info products is in the 75% range, or that's a good target. I think for an FBA business, your gross margin, meaning the the cost of manufacturing, getting it there, that's got to be more
0: like what, 40% or so or something like that. Yeah, that's about right. That's 30 to 40 is is a good range. And then you'd expect 10 to 15% to go to Amazon ads as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you
0: have to, yeah. so Then you get your overheads. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hence why 10% pre-tax profit, right?
1: Yeah, they're very different businesses. Mm. Different. They attract different types of people. They both can be successful, which is awesome. That's the cool thing you learn about any business is that everybody can be successful, right? There's all kinds of different ways to do it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these businesses but sometimes it is not the exact same. And that's where the cross comparisons are difficult. Um, And that's where I give revenue ranges as opposed to just saying, this is, you have to be at this level, right? Because we all arrive there differently. A lot of times you save money on margins by having, by doing the work yourself or having a partner, right? So those things can factor into it too.
0: Yeah, that's true. Okay. So I don't want to derail you from your excellent KPI journey. Let's assume we're getting up to five Four or five team members. What's the revenue range? In my experience, you're probably breaking three million dollars a year revenue by that point with Amazon. And my experience is, it seems to jump up from solopreneurs or partnerships to bigger teams quite quickly. Is that your experience as well with a sort of e-commerce type business? And if so, why am I seeing that?
1: Yeah, I'd say that's fair because I think that you you get to the certain point where you're making money, and then you hire and you hire to build up the team that was provided to you by the platform in the first place. So. You're specializing in these functions like customer support. You do it yourself. Okay. That's, that's not efficient. You hire a bunch of agents and those are relatively more inexpensive roles. So you can hire maybe b- more of them. Maybe you offer 24 seven support, that type of stuff. As far as if you're marketing yourself, you might be have a direct, you're serving the role of director of marketing, but then you need writers. Writers are, di- so a lot of times you'll hire out these positions that are either. Not from the United States or from a, from a emerging market and sure. they're less expensive or you're doing it for some kind of redundancy or you're building out the infrastructure. So yeah, that's definitely the temptation is you get past a certain point with just you and your partners or you and your small group. And then you just throw bodies at a problem or try to still start to build that stuff out. I can see that being a way that people go. And then also just taking advantage of the situation where would you rather have if you can streamline your delivery then you
0: can have more people on board and pay them less yeah that all makes sense and that is what you're happening so that's the reality out there as well so for that sort of type of business then so you're growing beyond say two or three ba- members four or five members upwards what are the sort of kpis that you would suggest See they're selling the amazon space particularly what sort of kpis are going to be important for those
1: yeah so to me the transition from the Two or three to four or five or to 10 people on the team is ownership of customer relationship or at least proxy for customer relationship. So that's where you say, I'm not just going to market on Amazon. I'm going to try to go back directly to the consumer as much as I can with marketing. It could be dropping something in the box to get them to be on your mailing list. It could be doing promos and email is great. Maybe not so much for Amazon FBA, but email is great for traditional e commerce. It could be starting your own store so that you're not, so you can have higher margins when you go direct to consumer. So getting them to go to your store to buy. And then KPIs are ultimately, I think that the awareness levels are really around getting to the point where you're owning and capturing permission to market to this person over and over again in your own way, because that will create a higher margin if you go directly to the consumer. And then also I say like education and nurture. So the middle game is taking people who are not necessarily ready to buy yet. And, and getting them, staying in front of them, building a relationship where when they're ready, they're going to buy from you. Again, email is a great way to do it. remarketing's another way that people will do this, although well, they'll just keep on remarketing to people, staying present. Even stuff like just organic search, having people search and find you, being found, right? Those are all ways to do it. Now, those are usually the middle game, as I call it, is it ends up being fairly expensive and, yeah. and a try of patience. So I definitely recommend low-hanging fruit. As much as you can. But then oftentimes you notice there's like this big gap between the small business and the ones who's everywhere, right? And that yeah. is where you start to add in channels, you start to add in complexity, you start to add in team members to go after that market size. Cause that bigger market size, it's a huge investment, but it's what makes you a larger business and it makes you in the certain caliber or class where you could be acquired, where you yeah. have economies of scale by bringing down your manufacturing costs because you have so much. And you have a defensible business position against the major networks because major networks are often, are usually what's responsible for putting a small business out of business because they basically get to, to set the rules. So Amazon changes the structure of something, they change their algorithm for organic, they change their algorithm for PPC, they cut down something, they increase their fees. That's what knocks somebody out, right? The redundancy, the reason why you build out the complexity is so you have less reliance on a third party who doesn't care about you or cares about you enough as long as they're making money, right? To you to owning that relationship and owning your own fate.
0: Yeah, that's it makes sense. That the biggest networks are the biggest threat to a small business. That's a quite a sobering thought that and that's it's a very good reminder. Yes. And I guess that more we own the own the customer relationship, if that's the right word putting it. And as you said, it's a proxy for ownership. I'm glad you put that caveat in there because you don't really own anything, but you, you yeah. have more of a direct relationship, then that decreases the risk of platform risks. Like the classic thing being the Google Panda slap or Amazon yep. deranking you, or even suspending your listing, or even outlawing an entire category that you may have built your entire business around. I've seen that before, yeah, which is ugly. So this, looking at a uh, an infographic here. So those who are watching the video will be able to see this. We'll try and pop that into the blog post for this episode. But talk us through what we're seeing here for the for the listeners. I'm imagining we've got four levels of objectives, your ACEs framework, really helpful, awareness, capturing intent, educate and nurture, and then S for sales and leads. I know my guys that that are doing seven or even eight figures are pretty sales focused. It sounds like we have to start there because the other stuff gets increasingly expensive. Is that a fair summary.
1: Yeah, I'll never tell anybody not to get as many sales get sales as they yeah. can. But also, I think that the long-term, creating the customer is a long-term investment. And that's where we start to expand this. So this is a completed version of our ACES framework, which the ACES framework, it, we will link out to it in the lesson notes or in the show notes. And um, it's just sort of walking through how this might work. So we have four levels, awareness all the way down to sales, then each one of these things has a KPI and a target. So a KPI is your key performance indicator. An example I have on here is, let's just call it organic search traffic. That's We want to optimize for organic search traffic. And our target is to, in this case on the screen, hit 80,000 people a month. And then in the template for ACES, which we'll link out to, we actually have a tab that shows how am I going to actually get that done? How am I going to get to 80,000 organic search Visitors, am I going to? Who's going to be involved? What team members? What targets? What tactics are we going to do to deploy this? What tools do we need? What's the payback on it? So we even get as far as what's the potential profit if we can get this thing done, right? So it's really like a one page marketing strategy for a business. Generally, my rule of thumb is one KPI per team member who can be responsible for it. So per marketer. So if you have a one person marketing team, you still probably only really need one KPI. If you have a 10 person team, then you might have it filled out to the level that will be show on this graphic.
0: I think by the way, that's a really great reality check that one KPI per marketing person, which means if you've got a team of three, you cannot be drowning in KPIs, right? You just, that's a very interesting rule of thumb. Yeah. That feels I, instinctively very limiting. Is that, yeah. it, it, does that give you enough KPIs to make a meaningful, build of a meaningful data picture that way?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I said one to three for years. And now I've just started to say one because the thought of three, one marketer doing three things. Imagine like you're the director of marketing even, and your KPIs are organic search traffic, customer increasing order value, and doing an email nurture sequence and making that work, right? You had those three things. Okay, well, in month one, like just getting the organic search to that level is a full-time job, plus requires writers, plus requires all these other people to get there, an SEO specialist, all that stuff, Right. Yeah, Then you need an email specialist to get the email part done and you need to write the emails. So that's, okay, when am I going to do that? Then you want to do stuff around order value, conversion rate optimization. <laughs> that takes time too. So maybe yeah. it's just, maybe it's instead of one KPI at a time, it's one project at a time or one objective one that you're trying to optimize for at a time. Yeah. And then you can do three of them in a year, for example.
0: That makes sense. And you just really articulated very well why I feel stressed all the time, because I am always over all- entrepreneurs I've ever met a bit over-ambitious assume that I can produce three people's worth of work. And sometimes on my best I can, but to keep that up, yeah, I also have the ambitions to do things like really driving organic search and increasing organic traffic all the time and then doing email marketing. And of course, (laughs) as you rightly point out, each one of those is a full-time job. And so I guess we need to give ourselves a break. And yeah, as you said, the, the solution to that, if you haven't got a big team, is to, even a team of like five is really pretty small when you look at the number of tasks we've got that we have to just do it project by project. So would you say that it's valid to sort of, to, if you have one person who's, for example, dri- driving, let's work our way up the funnel from the end of the funnel when we get paid. I'm always a fan of that. Say, let's say sales and leads. So you're trying to drive average customer order value, and you're also trying to get them to buy more than one purchase, right? To so get to to buy more stuff in one go. So those are really great concrete outcomes. Is it reasonable to make one person responsible for both of those, but alternate the focus every six months? Or how would you deal with that in reality?
1: Yeah. If you give them the resources to get it done, which is not really in the one pager, it's really hard to get down to the resource definition, but in the full template, we have that. It is, I have a director of marketing and he's responsible for quite a few KPIs, but a lot of this stuff, I give him resources to get it done. But then we also look at it in terms of sprints. Like we have a sprint where we need to optimize a, a funnel that's something that can get done at a certain point in time and or just to create the funnel, right? Then there's the optimizing of it. There's promotions, there's Black Friday, there's organic search. Basically, if you have somebody overseeing it, they can oversee multiple KPIs, but you need to give them the resource to have the team to get it done. You can't expect them to do the work too. So I think that's definitely how an organization is structured. Is the director of marketing. Are they doing the work or are they directing? <laughs> or is, do you even have that role? A lot of times it's a marketing manager who is responsible for vision and doing everything. And they yeah. n- always are overwhelmed. They never, oh, yeah, never yeah. they never make macro progress in the way they would have if they just got to do one thing.
0: And I think you just articulated a lot about why a lot of us, me included, for sure, but also the Mastermind members who are not stupid people and are very successful by many measures relative to the vast majority of people selling on Amazon and some of them sold businesses for seven figures. So they're on a great track, but pretty much everyone's overwhelmed most of the time. And I think you've articulated that there's such a difference between overseeing and getting other team members to do the work, which really brings me back to your rule, Jeff, which is like one KPI per person really, isn't it? You're right. You can't argue with that. Look, this is, uh, <laughs> we could talk about this all day. I'm aware we, we've got some other exciting things to talk about. We're going to talk about agencies next. And that's so I know so many people who've transitioned from being quite big sellers to running agencies that we're actually going to actually help them so but this is very thought-provoking stuff it sounds very real to me based on reality that <laughs> i've seen and experienced so tell us a bit about your services over at data driven you what do you do for people
1: yeah so i'm a, i was an agency owner for a long time like over a decade we were acquired last year so that was really cool and but even during the time that i was owning the agency i transitioned to being a full-time educator and that's what I'm, that's where my heart is to teach people how to be more comfortable with all this stuff and re align your thinking overwhelmed and that you are leveraged, that you are leveraging this as a strength as opposed to being a perceived weakness. I don't think this has to be a weakness for anybody. And so we do that over at data you.com. I took what I did in the classroom and at the university level teaching and now we do it online. So we do, we have some pre recorded courses. We have some just do it yourself documents, SOPs and stuff you can use to do your own marketing. But then we also have our flagship live training programs where you can learn and interact with other people in the same boat as you on how to be more comfortable with the data. Specifically, we teach around the Google suite of tools for analytics and advertising and some Facebook ads stuff as well. So that's really what we do is we get people to be really strong in the platforms that that fuel data-driven marketing
0: yeah and i think pretty much everyone on amazon is at least by curious as it were about getting their own direct consumer site to work and i think understanding google google facebook ads yeah facebook ads are funny isn't it it keeps on the headlines kind of seeming like the game's over but it's still one of the biggest games in town it's it's still there right so you've got to deal with those so those are really useful things. You've got a couple of offers for listeners. I know one yeah. is a lead magnet. So there's, in other words, free. So from us, it's a lead magnet. For them, it's a free product. So yep. you've got a Google Analytics for migration guide. Tell us a bit more about why people might need that.
1: Yeah. So if you are going direct to consumer or you have a site on Shopify or any other platform, if you have Google Analytics, the old school way of doing it, the one that was current like a couple of years ago, it's going away in July of 2023. And you'll no longer have data. So everybody needs to migrate over to Google Analytics 4. It's not just a one-click thing though. You have to re-tag your site, do a bunch of stuff. Sounds really complicated. It can be complicated, but we have this free guide, which is a 62 page PDF you can use. It's a checklist and you can just check that to this and that'll help you migrate. And so that's the free offer to you. And then if you want a little bit more help along with that. We have our Google Analytics for Toolbox, which is a, it's it's all the SOPs. So it's hundreds and hundreds of pages of checklists to do everything on this new platform. So you can learn it inside out. You can even hand it over to a VA or to a support team member, somebody who's yeah. just getting started and have them say, hey, check these boxes. And if you don't know about it, let me know. And yeah. If you don't really don't know about it and you want to learn, then you can do the
0: courses that at data-driven as well. Great. Right. I was going to say, when you say hundreds of pages to check this, I'm like, that's a thing to outsource. Straight, exactly. straight yeah. there. Obviously, you'd have to get somebody to check your work. And so you'd need to yeah. outsource to somebody yeah. reasonably knowledgeable. But, yeah,
1: we designed it to be something that
0: you would hand over, <laughs> for sure. Uh, uh, just to, to the point of overwhelm. I'm like, wow, that sounds scary. But on the other hand, it's something we've got to deal with. So if you've got a, a a website of any description, which most people have by the time they're into the seven figures. So that's over at, so if you've got the migration guide at ddu.ai forward slash migrate, that's ddu.ai forward slash migrate. And then the toolbox, which is the hundreds of checkmits, (laughs) ddu.ai forward slash GA4 toolbox. I might do a redirect for that. Let's go to amazingfba.com forward slash data driven. Maybe that's a bit better. Or in fact, let's call it GA4, let's call it that, because that's the Google Analytics four. So com forward slash GA4. So you can get your hands on that. So look, Jeff, fantastic stuff. I know we're going to have another episode soon talking about helping Amazon agencies. Is there any final words you've got, things I should have asked you about, about data maturity for Amazon-focused sellers themselves, people are actually selling physical products?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing to say is no matter where you're at and where you're thinking, um, you can do less and get more, be more effective by measuring twice and cutting once and planning it out. These frameworks give you an idea of how to do that and put some stuff in there. So there's nothing wrong with just saying, here's what's important to me. You can always debate it. You can do whatever, but that's a lot easier than going out there, finding a bunch of data, trying to make sense of it, doing a bunch of lifting, heavy lifting, and then still not knowing what you want. The reason why people are uncomfortable with data is because they don't have a strategy in place on how they're going to use it and they don't really know what they're looking for and so they're confused by looking into the matrix right but the people who understand how to use the matrix they're the ones who are trained to do that right so start with saying here's what i'm looking for and you will have way a way easier time and spend about 10 to 20 times less effort and time overall than if you were just relying on the tools to tell you what's important
0: yeah, and, and that ties very neatly back into what you're saying at the beginning of the show, where it's just data informed, not data driven. So in other words, there's no substitute for knowing what you want. <laughs> and then yep. having a strategy for getting it. And then, as you say, I guess the data is a real tool to help you, not a burden, as we often experience. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. Look, Jeff, really a comforting message, I think, for a lot of digital entrepreneurs who buy who, bar none, I think can get overwhelmed with data because of the nature of digital. And so that's really helpful. And once again, folks, if you want to get any help from that, I would suggest actually go over to data driven you with just the letter u, datadrivenu.com to check out everything that Jeff and his team have to offer as well. So, Jeff, we're going to talk about Amazon agencies next. But for the moment, thank you so much for coming yeah, on this thanks show. For, Fantastic. Thanks
1: for having me. This is great.